Hello, and welcome back to Behind the Switch. A few weeks ago, the Climbable team went down to Providence, Rhode Island to host a microgrid workshop with local community leaders and citizens interested in learning more about the microgrid project we and several other organizations have been working on for some time now. Video of the workshop will be on our website, climbable.org, for you to view. But for this edition of the podcast, Climbable Director of Research and Operations Jen Stevenson and I sat down to reflect on the workshop and on the microgrid project. We wanted to share a conversation with you all, as well as some excerpts from the workshop itself. As always, please feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments via Facebook or email at info at climbable.org. Thanks, and hope you enjoy. So that was a pretty awesome microgrid workshop in Providence, Rhode Island the other week. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot. Me too. You probably, okay, cool. I figured you, I consider you a Buddha of these topics because this is like your thing. But you know what? There are a lot of um, really impressive, really smart people in that room. There were, yeah. It's really humbling and cool to get everyone's input and to kind of have that roundtable discussion and um, a lot of people discussing every kind of possible logistic from who's paying to who owns what mm-hmm. to the specific um, mechanical and engineering components mm-hmm. of the storage, why the storage matters. Um, so I guess one thing just to lay out is that a microgrid is essentially a mini macro grid, right? It's the grid, but just in micro form. Right, right. Like if you think of the electricity grid as a macro grid... Then you put it in a tiny little micro form, and that's a micro. <laughs> shrink it down. Super Ooh. simplified description, but. but but it works right because there's a generation component, there's mm-hmm. a distribution component, and then there's like an like an end, like recipient of that energy. Right. Um, the differentiation with our specific microgrid is the battery storage, which is the way that you implement renewable energy, which mm. cannot be stored without right. battery storage. Yeah. So that's super cool. Um, well, I think it's important to note that our microgrid is relying, is looking to maximize renewable energy, clean energy in the form of solar plus storage. So the storage is the game changer because the solar provides the energy, but the storage allows us to dispatch it at times when the sun isn't shining and the PV panels, the solar panels aren't producing the energy. So that's why the storage is such a game changer. It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's economical. And I, I, it was cool listening to Larry talk about, um, you know, 10 years ago, how this was just a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I've only been looking into this stuff in the last like five years. I feel like I've, I'm like this, I, I feel like I'm spoiled. Like the moment that I get really interested in this stuff, this revolution <laughs> it takes starts off. happening. Yeah, it's like um, it's like I was like fourteen when the Red Sox won the World Series, <laughs> but my grandfather had to wait his whole life for that, you know. Um, but yeah, I think the other component, because like you were mentioning, there are things like campus microgrids that are in existence. Yeah, so microgrids have existed for a while, but I think what makes ours slightly different than the traditional one, and I'm going to describe the traditional one as a campus because. All of them are connected, yeah. All the um, physically, and they're all in one area. What makes ours different is that the buildings that receive the energy from this microgrid don't necessarily have to be right next to each other, right? And that's where because ours ours is almost like a virtual microgrid in that they can be connected through the cloud. So cool, that's amazing. Yeah, 
and it's also different in the fact that this project aims specifically to um, help lower income communities that, as you mentioned, are more vulnerable when there are outages and it takes longer usually for them to get a response or repair, right? Right. So the entire genesis of the microgrid program was the this concept, the RUN concept, which is RUN stands for really Resilient Urban Neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. that was um, an idea that Dave Dayton from C, uh, CESI Clean Energy Solutions, Love Dave. Fran Cummings from Peregrine mm-hmm. and Jeannie from Climate Bowl came up with like this idea of providing resilience to a community that might not necessarily have access to all the fancy gadgets or might not be able to evacuate in an emergency. Right. So that's that's why we came up with this concept and it's evolved to be this virtual microgrid. But the underlying idea behind it was to empower communities that are traditionally more left behind in an emergency that may be immobile for a number of reasons, could be health, age, just not having the money to be able to evacuate. Where do, where am I supposed to go? I don't have a place to go. Right. Or culture, or how, I don't even know that there's an evacuation order because I don't speak yeah. the language, for example. So Yeah, or I don't have internet or TV to exactly. tell me that there's an evacuation. Yeah. And I think another really important part of it is that energy democracy aspect, which is essentially what you're just talking about, where um, as it exists right now, um, and it was interesting talking to... Um, Dave, Dave Dayton, in a, in a previous podcast episode about his experience working, you know, with utilities um, and him openly admitting that there is like a monopolized aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and I think we all know that, including the utilities, and that's kind of an accepted aspect of our energy infrastructure. Um, but with the renewable resources, with distributed generation, with the ability to be so flexible in terms of the scalability of renewable energy... It's an amazing opportunity to not just have utility scale, solar utility scale, wind, etc., mm-hmm. but to have, you know, essentially an entire grid from production to distribution to consumption in, in a single neighborhood or even in a single household. Yeah. And we are in this transitional period where obviously with uh, RPS um, standards and states and we're moving forward very quickly into this landscape. And I think it's a it's a really important time to make sure that as that new infrastructure is being developed, we can get this kind of technology into the hands of people that, again, like could very well, even if there's good intentions behind this transition, could still very well be left behind in terms of their say into kind of how, when, and where, and also the price of their energy. I think it's also the right timing because grid modernization is such a, a popular topic right now. And if you had enough microgrids built up, then you could potentially eliminate the need for some of these big infrastructure projects that are being proposed right now. Right. And the, the cost of those projects are passed on to the ratepayers. Right. So if you're able to prevent that capital expense, right. then these people are getting clean energy reliable energy without without that extra cost. Right. And and to be clear on what the distributed generation model actually means, it's rather than a large-scale power plant, say a nuclear facility or, or a natural gas facility where they're generating massive amounts of energy to distribute through a large area, you, have, um, you can have just individuals with solar panels on their house that through um, things like net metering can distribute their energy not just to themselves, but back onto the grid for other people to use clean energy. Right. Um, so 
this is again one of these amazing aspects of the flexibility and how localized renewable energy can be that like you were saying capitalizing on that model mm -hmm. and expanding that model in addition to larger utility scale projects simultaneously yeah. can kind of nip in the bud um, some of these projected needs for these new massive facilities some of which are of course going to be necessary but of course you can off put that and offset that by you know increasing distributed generation mm -hmm. so it's super cool and i really liked um alex from clean water actions um, commentary on the community uh, impacts of this and, and kind of some of the nuances of that and we will um, insert that into this episode of the podcast for you all to hear and we'll just go ahead and put that in right now for you all to listen to so again alex with clean water action um, the the Green Justice Coalition, this partnership I was describing earlier, has been we've been thinking about you know the impacts on our on our on the most vulnerable communities. For <clears throat> Larry and uh, and some other folks have been uh, <clears throat> working for years, maybe eight or ten years now, to uh, to think about how do we how do we build campaigns where you know we get these triple bottom line uh, <clears throat> benefits. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's a, there's a lot of development happening, a lot of uh, economic you know, development, and, and it doesn't always reach our communities. Uh, so, you know, and, and we find progressive constituencies are often competing with each other when they, when, they should be, when they could be collaborating. So the idea was to build campaigns where everyone can benefit um, the, the environment, you know, labor, and, uh, and the community, you know, specific communities that have been left out of other economic development opportunities. So we started thinking about microgrids as one potential option, maybe three or four years back, and uh, you know, met the Run team, uh, which had immense technical expertise and, and similar, you know, thinking about um, how this should be driven by communities. Um, so that's really at the heart of this work for us. This is not uh, just a technical solution. Um, we're you know we're aware that microgrids have been People have been talking about this and, and building them for decades, you know, in isolated communities, Alaska and so on. Um, what's, what's unique about our project is that this is, this is from the ground up. This is driven by the folks who are most vulnerable to climate impacts and other kinds of, you know, social uh, problems that we're, you know, seeing all over our communities, gentrification, high housing costs, um, displacement, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so how do we... How do we benefit these folks who are more vulnerable, and, and why should we focus on these communities? Um, you know, it's pretty clear that the, the more well-resourced communities are, are benefiting from the transition to clean energy, uh, energy efficiency, money that the state has, you know, uh, pulled together, and, and so on. And, and the ones who are not benefiting but are still paying into these uh, into these costs are are the low to moderate income communities. So. We wanted to make sure that uh, the project, as we built it out, is accountable uh, to these communities. So the, the solution was, you know, as Green Justice Coalition has been working for, for years now, um, to anchor the projects with community-based organizations that have trust in those communities that have been there for, for decades. Some of them, you know, the two partners that we work with in Chinatown and Chelsea have been there for 30 and 40 years. Uh, and, and these are folks who, you know, speak the languages in the community, uh, have ex excellent relationships with the municipality, um, have, have lots of trust built up in, the, in these communities. Um, so there's, you know, it's, we're not just 
uh, coming from the outside and you know dropping some benefits on folks. It's like you know this is this is something that we're uh, they're building. on the ground going to each business and and homeowner and asking them if they want to participate, right? Exactly, and 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 the and our project design is informed by the interests of of the folks in the community. It's not it's not just you know experts coming in from the outside and bestowing these benefits on the community. It's, well, you know, what does the community need? You know, there's a, there's a long process of uh, getting that information out, so we're doing a lot of talking. But anyway, the point is, um, the, the community groups in Chelsea and Chinatown, Green Roots in Chelsea and the Chinese Progressive Association in Boston's Chinatown, uh, are anchoring this project uh, on the Green Justice Coalition side, um, Clean Water's assisting, um, and uh, uh, the, the design is yet to be, as Jimmy was just saying, is yet to be finalized, as well as the business model. How is this all going to you know, be financed and, and paid for? And uh, How do we share the, the benefits and the costs? How do we share decision-making you know, as, as the project gets built out? Uh, it's, there's, a, there's a lot in the works here, but it's, it's really something that's uh, flexible and adaptable to each community, and, and really should be, because that's, it, it, we want it to be respons responsive to the needs of that community. It's a major obstacle, you know, it takes time to just understand how the macro grid works, right, and, and use things and get familiar with the language and so on. But that's why this, these community partners are so essential. Uh, there's ongoing conversations happening in both of these communities. Um, you know, first the organizers and the organizations had to learn all this stuff, and, and you know, just, there's still ongoing conversations about the benefits and so on. Uh, but then that's translating into community meetings. Um, the, the partners, the, the subscribers, you know, the members of the microgrid project, the, the buildings and facilities that would be connected in, um, are also trying to figure out how does it impact their bottom line and their projected energy costs and so on. Uh, but they're, they're, they're coming and they're approaching us with a trusting uh, relationship because of the, the trust that's been built up with CPA and, and Green Roots. Uh, and that, that's, you can't put a dollar amount on that, it's just, it's super, important you know, it's really uh, essential alex thanks as always for your amazing contributions and let's get back to our conversation with uh, myself and jen there was this one this one woman who she came in late i don't know if you remember she was kind of sitting behind you and we we're like mostly done with the presentation and she's like so can you tell me like what is a microgrid? Yes. do you remember her yes she was I, so great should we? <laughs> i think that's I such a great question that. so my analogy, this is, I love this analogy. Okay. I love the analogy of, um, like, a community-sized generator. Yeah. Because, like, like a generator that you would have at your house if you lost power, you rely on a generator when the power goes out at your house. Mm -hmm. Except that the generator in our microgrid analogy is a combination of clean energy in the form of solar and battery, large-scale right. battery storage. Um, but what makes it different from a generator is that it can operate all the time. Mm. It can produce energy of regardless of whether you, regardless of whether there's an emergency or not. Yeah. So you can use it for clean energy oh, on true. a clean sunny day, on a, on a blue sky sunny day when there's no. It's not an in case of emergency type thing. Right. But it, it, but it, but can it is. It can. Yeah. yeah. It can. Def that's when it becomes an asset. Is yeah in case of an emergency. Yeah. But it can be operating all the time and providing all these other benefits. So like to Alex's point, it can provide 
local some local jobs because people need to be trained on how to install it. Like that that's a job right there. Yeah. When to turn it on into island mode, how to optimize it. Yeah, operators, are, maintenance. Yeah. So that's a benefit. In the emergency, it's a shelter in place. People don't have to evacuate. Yeah. Which is huge for immobile communities. Or like, let's mm. say you have diabetes. You can keep your insulin in a fridge without having to worry about it going bad. Oh, totally. Did you like my um, community garden analogy? I liked your community <laughs> garden analogy. Do you want to go over it? I'm going to go over it. So here's... So here's the current analogy translated from energy to food. <laughs> okay. So the power generator um, is like a, a large agricultural conglomerate. That's where we're getting all of our food. That's where we're getting, sourcing all of our energy. The utilities company is like a huge supermarket, right? We all go to the utility for our energy. We all go to this large supermarket to get our food, right? And then we are the end consumers. So we're pulling from this large farm to this large supermarket to our homes, right? Yep. Just like from power plant utilities to our homes. A microgrid is rather than sourcing your energy or your food from a big farm or a big power plant, you're sourcing it from, say you have a beautiful, robust vegetable garden with your neighbors mm -hmm. and you all pitch into it and you all share a, a certain amount of it. Um, you share the plot, you do the work. Share the plot, do the work. And it's also local. It's distributed mm -hmm. gardening, um, distributed generation of food. And rather than a utility company having to distribute that food to you, rather than going to the supermarket, you can skip the middleman and just go right to your garden and pull it directly onto your local microgrid or onto your you know, table, whatever right. you want to call it. And uh, also, in case of an emergency, say uh, you, know, you can't get out of this, your street to go to the supermarket because of a blizzard or something, well, guess what? Maybe you can put on your jacket and go outside and grab that cabbage sitting right there. Or maybe you've been prudent enough to put some potatoes and cabbage in your basement. Yeah. There's your storage right there. Mm -hmm. Boom. Not a bad analogy, right? That's good. And Thanks your root time. cellar. My root cellar. It's a root <laughs> cellar. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to bring up really quickly that we haven't discussed right mm -hmm. now is just building on the whole focus of our microgrid um, being for the people. Yes. I think really what makes this project stand out to me is that it's not, so we have the technical expertise, right? But it's not like we're going to these communities and saying, we're here to save you. Lord, no. Right? We are, we have people on the ground in these communities doing the work, yes. doing community organizing, get getting the constituents interested yeah. in power, which is a pretty dry topic. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and it's like this, it's now it's like this bottom up grassroots approach where, you know, your neighbor is saying, I want clean energy. This is how I want it delivered to me. And I want it. Yeah. Brought to me by the Run GJC microgrid. Darn right. Right? So it's not just like this, we're going into lower income or moderate income communities and saying, yeah. hey, we're here with a microgrid for you. It's, not at all. It's, we have this microgrid idea. We think it would be great for you guys. Take it away. Mm -hmm. Take the idea away. Think about it. Let us know if you want to partner with us and we can work to come up with a solution. Yes, and those community organizers are always the unsung heroes of the world. So 
We are singing your praises right now. Thanks for your hard work. You guys are the best. They, they're doing they a really lot of work. Yeah. yeah. So many folks from so many fields, from technical experts to community organizers to environmental advocates have come together to make this work. And you can be sure that we'll keep you in the loop as things keep developing. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of Behind the Switch.